Hello and welcome to episode three of Immigration Briefs, a podcast that reviews the latest immigration news every week. I'm your host, Adam Frank, and let's dive right in. Our first item today is about the effects of 9-11 on immigration and immigration policy. Because last week marked the anniversary of 9-11 terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and the foiled attack that resulted in the airplane crashing in Pennsylvania, there were several articles discussing how the events of that day affected immigration, and especially immigration policy, in the United States. All of these articles agreed that the biggest and most impactful result was the creation of the Department of Homeland Security. In case you didn't know, prior to 9-11, the Immigration and Naturalization Service, as it was then called, was actually under the Department of Justice, as were the immigration courts. After 9-11, the Department of Homeland Security, or DHS, was created, and into that department was folded the Immigration and Naturalization Service, which was then changed to USCIS, which is United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, Immigrations and Custom Enforcement, and Customs and Border Protection, as well as many other agencies. Now, it should be noted that most of the Custom and Border Protection and Immigration and Custom Enforcement aspects were brought over from the Treasury Department, which previously had nothing to do with immigration. Today, there are about 24 sub-agencies of the Department of Homeland Security. Now, while the criminalization of immigration law had begun with the Clinton White House, when the Illegal Immigration Reform and Immigration Responsibility Act, or ERARA, was passed in 1996, it really escalated with the post-9-11 creation of DHS. So ERARA created a lot of the current criminal and punitive punishments for immigration violations that are around today, things such as the three- and ten-year bars for those who have been in the U.S. out of status for either six months or over a year, criminal penalties to illegal reentry, and so forth. But it was the creation of DHS that concentrated all of these things into one agency and created that overwhelming drive for all these agencies to focus solely on criminal immigration and deportation. A good example of this is Customs and Border Protection. This one one agency used to be three separate agencies. Customs, which monitored the goods that came into the United States. Inspections, which checked people coming into the U.S. to ensure that they had the correct paperwork. And Border Patrol, which was a quasi-military agency that patrolled the borders. However, when you think of this agency now, Customs and Border Protection, all you think of is their acts on the U.S. border keeping immigrants out of the United States, splitting up families, those types of policies that they have been implementing. When you look at it, a big part of their job should still be keeping out goods from the U.S. that we don't want here. Things such as illegal drugs, illegal weapons, 
that are crossing our borders that they are not concentrating on and that are actually coming into our country. And the numbers are increasing in terms of illegal drugs coming into our country because an agency such as this has been politically pushed to concentrate so much on individual immigrants coming to the United States as opposed to its entire mission. In addition to this, the other agencies within DHS, USCIS, ICE, have all been focusing all their energy on these individuals entering and on the push to keep people outside the United States. Immigration, USCIS itself, has been focusing on this, where its mission is not to keep people outside of the United States, but rather to act as an impartial agency to determine whether people meet the requirements for immigration benefits and should be able to stay in the U.S. or not. And immigration really has to get back to that mission. Now, there have been some other changes as well. A big change was the Real ID Act, which required all states to adopt standard identification and pretty much put an end to those without documentation being able to get things like a driver's license. Although some states did institute non-Real ID IDs for people without documentation, they can't be used for things such as getting on an airplane and traveling. In addition, 9-11 also killed all hopes of immigration reform. Pretty much since 9-11, there have been no major and pretty much no minor immigration bills that have passed through Congress. Many politicians no longer look at immigration as a way of enriching the United States, no longer look at immigration as being a net benefit to the United States. Instead, they look solely at the dangers that immigration may involve. In other words, well, what if we let another terrorist into the United States? Never mind the fact that most terrorist acts committed in the United States have been committed by U.S. citizens, not foreigners. Never mind the fact that millions of immigrants who come to the United States actually benefit the U.S. through their scientific findings, through their ability to work here and bring economic benefits, create jobs, pay taxes, all of that. They solely focus on that one danger to the exclusion of everything else. While that is important, and while there is a place for enforcement and a place to keep out terrorists and gang members, we also have to remember that there's also a place for researchers, for engineers, for people filling jobs that U.S. citizens and permanent residents don't want to do or that we don't have enough U.S. citizens or permanent residents to fill. Easiest way to accomplish this is to separate out the enforcement and the adjudication functions of immigration. No longer should they be put together in one agency. It's an impossible feat for that one agency to carry out. 
Immigration needs to focus on being impartial and the granting of status to those who qualify. ICE, CBP, whoever you want can concentrate on the enforcement aspects, but they do need to be separated out. Second item we're going to look at this week is about undocumented immigrants who worked for many of the companies that cleaned up after the 9-11 terrorist attacks. The article talks about the types of illnesses and diseases that these people have faced. The fact that while there are medical programs set up to help those injured while working to clean up after 9-11, and that while these programs will treat anyone, regardless of their immigration status, that many undocumented people aren't aware of the program, aren't aware that it will treat people regardless of their immigration status, and in fact are more concerned about their status and their ability to get a job than they are about getting medical help. Now, some of these people who are undocumented who did this work have gotten cash payments to help with their medical needs, have gotten medical care. But as I said, no one has worried about or helped them to fix their immigration status. Many of them have had to leave the United States, go back home to deal with family matters, to deal with other issues. And they're not allowed back into the United States, even if they ask, despite the service that they performed for our country. I mean, let's be real. The reason so many undocumented workers, and there were thousands of them, had to do this work was because there were not enough U.S. citizens or permanent residents who were willing to do it, who were willing to take the risks. In fact, a lot of these companies that hired these workers, because they were undocumented, refused to give them a productive equipment so that they were breathing dust, they were breathing asbestos for weeks, if not months. And what this did to their bodies, to their health, is inexcusable. These people were also the ones who are now suffering from PTSD and from depression because of what they saw and what they went through. They were there when first responders were dealing with the injured and dead. They were the ones who saw all of that. And now we've basically abandoned them. Now, there was one bill introduced in 2017 that would have provided them with immigration status. However, it didn't get very far, barely got out of committee, if it did at all. It has yet to be reintroduced at all. So nothing has been done at all yet to help these undocumented immigrants, despite the service they provide to us. As one of the immigrants who work there put it, we need to be remembered. We were all immigrants who contributed to the U.S. We worked hard there paid taxes, grew old there. Some cleanup workers I knew died of cancer. We should all be remembered for what we did. The third item I'd like to talk about this week deals with the changing face of detaining immigrants in the United States. There are thousands of immigrants detained in the United States, some for very minor offenses, others for major offenses. Now, 
Obviously, those who are detained for major offenses should be kept detained. There's no question about that. But what about those detained for things such as speeding or jaywalking or very minor offenses that they get arrested for because they may not have ID on them? Many times, if the jail has an agreement with ICE, not only will be they detained for the criminal act, but then they will continue to be detained just because ICE asked them to. The article I read this week was about Hennepin County in Minnesota. The sheriff there who was elected in 2019 and who ran on a strong stance on immigration issues, you know, should be detained, protect our society, protect our communities, has now determined that it's actually better for the community, makes the community safer if they do not alert ICE when someone is detained without documents, that they do not work closely with ICE. In fact, he has worked to remove the ICE office that was at the jail. He is not reporting crimes or immigrants that were arrested anymore to ICE unless it's for serious crimes. Why, you may ask? Isn't this just allowing these people back on the streets? Isn't this How is this keeping communities safer? It's keeping them safer because what they determined was that immigrants were no longer working with the police. They were no longer reporting crimes, so crimes were underreported, underrepresented. They were no longer acting as witnesses to crimes or coming forth as witnesses, which kept them from solving crimes. The sheriff saw that it was safer for the community to actually stop working with ICE and instead working with the community members themselves, be they documented immigrants, undocumented immigrants, citizens, or permanent residents. These concerns are best encapsulated by what Senator Bill Engelbrigston stated. We have some very tough customers that are coming in. A decision to not comply with an order or refuse to detain someone could hinder public safety. All I have to say is, would he also be in favor of detaining a U.S. citizen just because a federal agency asked with no other reason, no probable cause, nothing? You know, a murderer who is a U.S. citizen should not have more protections against being held in jail than an undocumented person who jaywalked. It's just not the American way, nor is it right. If we start eroding the rights of one person in the name of public safety, it will soon apply to all people. And we need to be careful about that. This is not to say that the sheriff is not honoring ICE detainers. The sheriff will honor any detainer as long as it has a court order behind it. So as soon as ICE gets that court order, the the sheriff will keep those immigrants in jail. So those who committed serious crimes, they're not going to be released. The sheriff is also asking this county to stop accepting Federal Department of Justice grants that require cooperation with ICE. He's also placing inmate rights information in several languages by the telephones in the jail. 
I hope that more sheriffs in more counties follow this lead. Now, the second article on this issue discussed a report about ICE detentions and that if detaining people actually does lead to safer communities. The report was by the Migration Policy Institute, and it looked at several factors, one being cost, and it found that it costs about $144 per day per detainee to keep someone detained, whereas it only costs about 5 to $6 if someone is released on a release program. It then looked at, well, what is the danger to the community? Again, realizing that those who've committed serious crimes will not be released. They will be in jail. What they found was that those who were put on supervised release had between a 95 and 99% rate of showing up for their check-ins and a 100% rate of showing up for court hearings. Again, the cost of releasing someone on supervised release is about $5 a day compared to that $144 a day. And if 100% of these people are showing up at their court hearings, it seems to make sense not to keep these people detained. In addition, the health effects on people who are being detained is horrible. COVID outbreak just emphasized this. The number of detained immigrants who have been treated for COVID and hospitalized for COVID is huge because of the conditions they're kept in. You know, other reports document this and go through this and show how detention is being used as a means to try to keep people from coming to the U.S., making it so bad that other people won't bother to come. I find that despicable to treat human beings in such a way is just not what the United States stands for. Now, the last news item I want to discuss is about the dissatisfaction from some immigrant advocates about what President Biden has been able to do so far. The article that I read, and for the most part it was promoted by more conservative news agencies, I will say, pointed out that President Biden, as a senator, voted for a lot of the laws that have hurt immigrants. That includes the laws that stiffen penalties against entering the country illegally, that created some of the criminal penalties for entering illegally, that stiffened laws against hiring undocumented workers, that speeded up the deportation of the people at the borders, that resulted in the hiring of more border agencies, and that resulted in building large sections of the wall. It also reminded people that as vice president under President Obama, he was part of the administration that still has the record for the most deportations of any previous administration. Then goes on to outline how these advocates feel that President Biden, while being a good advocate and saying good things, has not actually done enough to change the laws. Now, they are happy that he has overturned many of the former administration's executive orders and policies, but he hasn't changed all of them. A good example of this is what I talked about last week, the coronavirus border shutdowns, 
how those haven't changed and in fact have been reinstituted despite the fact that they don't really make sense anymore. And if you'd like to hear more on that, you can listen to episode two. In addition, there are other COVID restrictions that are the reason that they're not allowing people in the U.S. at the Mexico border, keeping them in Mexico. Again, that's based on public health. He's not ended the detention policies either of the former administration, which we discussed earlier in the podcast. And for those who haven't seen it in the news, there have actually been some small protests on this topic at the White House itself. On the other hand, those who've complained about immigration have complained that President Biden has, in their words, ended interior immigration enforcement and allowed undocumented immigrants to stream across the border. Once again, as discussed above, it's important to realize that there are actually many threats coming to the U.S. that are more important than people coming in without documentation. Drugs, especially fentanyl, which has increased hugely crossing the border, and weapons. This is partly, again, because ICE and CBP have been pulled so far from the customs enforcement duty and morphed into immigration enforcement tools. President Biden has also started to turn this around and put them back into their traditional customs enforcement role, which will be great for the country because it will, again, focus them on keeping out illegal drugs, keeping out illegal weapons, which will actually make our country safer rather than just focusing on immigrants. Thank you for joining me for another episode. As always, if you have any questions or comments, please email them to info at immigrationbriefs.com. Music, as always, is provided by Steve Combs. The song is News Breaks. And I hope to talk to you again next week. Until then, ciao.